Hello and welcome to the Swift Legacy Podcast, a show where we talk all things Taylor Swift with a focus on her early career. We're your hosts, Amy and Molly, and today we're going to be talking about and analysing the songs from The Vault on Red Taylor's version. Hey guys, welcome back to the Swift Legacy Podcast. As I'm sure you know, last week Taylor released her version of Red with six never-before-heard songs and, of course, the long-awaited 10-minute version of All Too Well. I always think you're gonna, like, people are going to say All Too Rare, and I don't know why. <laughs> so obviously, I do know why, but I'm like, I don't I know. wonder why, Amy. I know, it's just become a thing in my head. The amount of times I've heard that song playing in this house from various different rooms today is actually a bit depressing. You live with sad people. I haven't I listened to it today. People. Have you not? I haven't listened I to anything I've listened today. To it in I've just slept. Today. I've listened to you know what? Message in a bottle has really grown on me. Me too. Me too. It's a bop. It was not what I was expecting, which I think is why it took a while. I think I was. I was listening to our episode on. I was trying to work out how many predictions we got right. So I was listening to our collab predictions episode, and Rachel kept going on about, and we kept agreeing that we thought that the vault would expand on the Nashville side of red, and it really yeah. didn't. And so I, I know that's why it. Yeah, it expanded on the pop side on the. A side so I really wasn't expecting that obviously because we all said we didn't so should we dive into it I looked at the track list best man and babe are listed as from the vault Ronan is not really hmm. Ronan was technically released whereas that's Tesla's true never released better man, version of better man or babe yeah better yeah. man nothing new babe Messed oh yeah I, I thought that was so weird like why did she yeah, have better man and babe which is such a weird thing to like think is weird, but because we'd heard both of those before, I assumed they'd be like a bit like when she put "Today Was a Fairy Tale" straight after, and then it was yeah. the, from the vault ones. I love that she put "Today Was a Fairy Tale" on there and literally just didn't mention anything about it. We we're like, that was never on Fearless. <laughs> she has no rhyme or reason about her track list. I mean, look, uh, we are never ever getting back together. Stay, stay, stay. Like it's and like in especially in the lover era, like the track lists are just absolutely oh ridiculous. the lover track listing gives me whiplash. No. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll start at the beginning and go with Best Man. Now, obviously, we have heard this song before, and it was released by Little Big Town many, I say many years ago, it was like four years ago, but it feels like a long time. Taylor then performed it at the Bluebird Cafe again many years ago. That isn't actually that long ago, it just feels like it. Um, And then, of course, the other week, the demo of it leaked. So we have heard Taylor's vocals on it before, but this is obviously re-recorded. What did you think of it? I thought, when I first listened to it, I thought, you know what, this sounds very, very similar to the demo that we heard. Like, even those little melody changes, I love that she kept those. Um, It is, in my opinion, the vault song that fits best on the album. I can really see it being on the album red and it does fit with all of the album tracks the best I think every other vault song I can see you know what that didn't quite go but this one absolutely not I definitely think it fits what did you think I have written down that I thought it had perfect production which we will get more into my opinions on the production of the vault songs because Molly Molly has already heard it um if you watched our live stream on Instagram you may have heard some of it um But I thought that the production on Better Man was perfect. I mean, it was essentially, like you said, very, very similar to the demo. And I think that's just better because it's more authentically how it was originally planned to be on the album. 
Um, obviously, we have to bring up the backing vocals. So if you didn't know, Liz and Caitlin, who are both members of the agency back in the day, are featured on Better Man and both do backing vocals on Better Man as well as in a couple of other songs, but they're both on Better... Wait, hang on. I feel like I'm saying they're both on Better Man like five times. When I sent Amy a screenshot of the um, the credits from the album booklet, she genuinely sent me a voice message back crying. I did. I did do that. That's quite embarrassing. But honestly, when I first started becoming a fan of Taylor and I bought the journey to Fearless, I was watching all the old vlogs. So much of kind of what I had in the fan culture originally was based around the agency. And so to see them kind of coming back together and working together again, it's just, oh my God, too emotional. I wanted to add that listening to it with headphones the string arrangement in the background is just, oh my God. I don't know why I'm saying it gives me Dark Blue Tennessee vibes because it's nothing like Dark Blue Tennessee, but in terms of the strings. Production-wise, I see what you're saying there, actually. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's definitely one of the best produced songs on the album, I think. And maybe on the album because, as a whole. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, not even mm. just in the vault, on the entire album. I also wrote down that the melody change in the second verse is just <sighs> heavenly incredible chef's kiss etc um and the only other note I made was death to Gyllenhaal <laughs> R.I.P. So, Remember when everyone thought this song was about Calvin Harris please don't give me flashbacks to that Rachel went on some massive rant on um Twitter or Instagram or something about how it was written in 2010, 2011. So there's literally no way it could be about Calvin Harris. I feel like there's not really that much to cover with Best Man because obviously with us already having heard the song, we already knew the lyrics. Um, we've already like analysed the behind, not behind of it, but the behind the scenes inspiration of it and everything. If we move on to Nothing New... I know you're very excited about this one because you are a Phoebe Bridges stand first and a human second. So how do you feel about this? Oh my God. No, I still remember the moment on the phone with you decoding the vault songs and decoding Nothing New featuring Phoebe Bridges and just, oh my God, I, I don't know. It was definitely one of my dream collaborations and I didn't think it was going to happen. So I don't think I ever said it out loud. I didn't want to curse it. But it turned out as incredible as I thought it would. I think the style of the song and the lyrics fit Phoebe really well. And their voices go really well together, actually. And I love that it was a real duet. It wasn't backing vocals. I think for this song, it fit that really well. And it's actually kind of sad, given the theme of the song, that she brought in an artist who is the shiny new thing I don't know it just makes me no cry. I get that 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 makes sense I hadn't thought of it like that actually but yeah I I would say it has exceeded my expectations because I guess from the we knew we knew about the existence of nothing new and we knew a couple of lyrics from the lover journals and from those journal entries I probably wasn't the most excited for it like it was just kind of eh so so and I I have never until the past couple of months I haven't listened to Phoebe Bridges so when I found out about it I was like oh yeah a lot of people like her but I I haven't really listened um I have now I'm aware I am aware 
Um, but yes, it really exceeded my expectations and I am obsessed with the way their vocals blend together. They just, they complement each other so well. They're so different, but so good. But Phoebe's lyricism has always reminded me a little bit of Taylor's, but very kind of more recent Taylor in that it's very honest, like almost too honest and very vulnerable. I think that's probably one of the reasons why I didn't make the original Red album. I think it was too vulnerable at the time. And there's obviously the mention of drinking, which was very, even back then, kind of Red era, very clean image. I don't drink or I didn't drink till I was 21. I That is still the funniest thing to me. I know. Like, have you seen her old MySpace posts? You are not telling me that girl did not drink when she was 15 years old. She has an unreleased song called $10 in a six pack written in like 2005. So I've written down a couple of lines that I thought would be good to discuss. So one of the lyrics is, I wonder if they'll miss me once they drive me out. Pain. And you tweeted that video. I tweeted a video of the Carrie Underwood and Brad Paisley monologue slash introduction song at the 2014 CMAs, where they were essentially joking that the country music industry had postpartum Taylor Swift disorder and basically implying that the industry, the country industry, missed her when she moved away to pop. And I just, I thought because of all those times that she had been mocked by award show hosts and expected to laugh and the camera panned to her and she was smiling and she was kind of shrugging it off, but you could tell like it wasn't okay. And then to see kind of the same situation being like, oh wait, we miss you now. I just, that, that line, because obviously this was written way before the 2014 CMAs. But that just, that hit me. That hit me too hard. Oh God, I know. I think it's definitely, it's been an insecurity of hers for such a long time. She only really started talking about it in the lover era. But I remember her saying something along the lines of she wants to work really, really hard while society is still tolerating her in the lover era. And this song just kind of takes that idea of how long is this going to last? It reminds me a lot of The Archer, actually. Um, the you Archer. It's also like a sister song to The Lucky One, I think. And I think, I don't think we can blame her for thinking those things because as she has been coming up in the industry, the general public or the persona that the media have created for her is so negative that it really does just, maybe not now so much, but previously it's felt like a time bomb until it all implodes. Mm. I think her career's gone on long enough now and the last like two years I'd say probably only really actually no maybe the last year and a half since the release of Folklore I think she's really cemented herself as a Madonna or a Beyonce or someone who could literally go on for as long as she wanted to she's reached that level of fame now but what makes me really emotional is the line I mean the chorus line um will you still want me when I'm nothing new and the fact that she's just released an old album, nine-year-old album, re-recorded, and it's shot to the top of the chart. She's got a 10-minute song at number one at the moment. She has beaten her own Spotify records with an old album. Yes, we want you, even when you're nothing new. This is an old album. And it just made me cry this morning when I realised it. Can you please tell me why I'm tearing up right now? <laughs> I did 
not sign up for this? Another kind of linking to my last point, my cheeks are growing tired from turning red and faking smiles. Just it's the same picture of those kind of cut to audiences where she's like smiling in those interviews. Like I may have gone on YouTube the other day and searched Taylor Swift awkward moments and sad moments in interviews just for for research essentially but where like the interviewers say such just unacceptable things really and she just has to smile and laugh and it's just it is so awful and I think back then especially she put on this front and she never talked about that negative side of or she she brushed over it a lot she almost there was always this perception that she had to be happy all the time now hearing this song that she wrote kind of in the midst of all that when she was putting on this happy face for the public and knowing now everything she went through in 2016 and 2017 on top of that ow it hurts it hurts a lot I mean this isn't necessarily like the most I don't know I was gonna say it's not the most amazing line but the whole song is kind of a masterpiece but this line is just for me like like a knife to the heart just when she was like I know it's sad but this is what I think about and it's just it's the fact that knowing and I know we already know this but knowing that she she has always worried and always felt that we not necessarily we as a fan base but we as people who listen to her music will eventually leave her and just shove her off like into the bargain bucket and it's just, I'm just like, ow, we would never do that. So the bridge goes, I know someday I'm going to meet her. It's a fever dream. The kind of radiance you only have at 17. She'll know the way and then she'll say she got the map from me. I'll say I'm happy for her. Then I'll cry myself to sleep. Oh my God. I'm not emotionally stable enough for this. I mean, you, Molly, sent me a voice memo the other day, kind of with your thoughts on this in terms of, how Taylor didn't necessarily have that much support and advice from people who'd previously been through the industry because in so many ways she was a trailblazer. Do you want to go more into that? Definitely. So it was an interview on Seth Meyers the other day where one of them asked her, oh, do you have any advice for whoever was hosting SNL last night? I don't know what she said, but then he was like, oh, did you get any good advice when you hosted? And she was like, no, someone should have reached out to me. I shouldn't have, I should have got decent advice. And it did make me think that she really didn't have anyone to, or she didn't have a mentor really in the industry or anyone who had been along the same path that she had, because like you said, she was a trailblazer. She was sort of the first of that kind and I think that's part of the reason why she is so supportive of younger up-and-coming artists now people like Olivia and Conan because she didn't have that and so the idea that and I thought I had the same interpretation of it as you did um when I first listened to it that it was her talking to her younger self but actually I definitely agree with the interpretation now that it's um it's the kind of idea of an, a younger artist it's weird that it does mirror the situation with Olivia a lot even though Olivia was like nine when the song was written <laughs> but um no, I, the line I'll say I'm happy. I'll say I'm happy for her. Then I'll cry myself to sleep. Is heartbreaking. Okay, so if we move on to Babe, I have said I think that this track is overproduced, and I stand by that. However, listening more to it, 
I have to say, I do really enjoy the addition of the horns. I think there are some good moments in it, definitely. I do agree with you that the production leaves a lot to be desired in places. Um, And I'm not sure, I think I was expecting it to be more country than it actually is. It's quite poppy, considering it was, it's a country song and it was sold to a country artist. She's turned it into almost something that could be played I mean it could be played on pop radio um I do quite like the what about your promises bit at the beginning like the little addition of that that's quite a nice touch but there are places where it just feels a bit pop for me yeah I agree and I think I've written the what about your promises is a cool addition to the song I I also feel like that in itself is quite a step away from the country of it I feel like that kind of makes it into more of a a pop track and I just I just think in general the production is a bit too heavy-handed it could have done with being a little bit more acoustic I mean I'm not saying like an acoustic track but just a bit less produced yeah more acoustic production exactly I also felt like she could have gone harder with that bridge yeah I feel like honestly all of the vocals are maybe a little bit too smooth and it feels strange to say that because the vocals are absolutely perfect however I feel like they're kind of lacking a little bit of emotion and we've said many times before that obviously there will be disconnect when she records these older songs because they were written such a long time ago and she's not in that place anymore but I do think that the vocals could have been a little bit more emotive I 100% agree there and there are definitely places even on album tracks where I listen to them I think and if you compare them to the original they don't quite hit as hard emotionally which is completely understandable but the vocals are 10 times stronger it's insane how much her vocals have improved in the last kind of decade or so I'd love to hear her sing some of these ones live I honestly wonder what she's going to do with about about a tour like her next tour I don't think she's gonna oh who knows I did see a tweet this morning that was like, what about a Taylor's version tour? And I'm going to go a little bit off topic here because I can and I want to. But I was actually thinking the other day, what if she does tour with the re-records? Or not necessarily even the re-records, but her discography as a whole. And what if she brought back like the entire agency who wanted to come back essentially? Like, I mean, I feel like Caitlin... Caitlin still is a touring musician. She toured with Shakira the other year. Um, but I feel like there may be, after, after the Red Tour, which is the last tour that Caitlin did, it would have been 1989. And we all know the 1989 era was very pop. There was no fiddle. So I feel like that was kind of an inevitable... I'm not saying she was forced out, but I'm saying you can understand why she was no longer a part of the band. Oh, she was sort of made redundant, wasn't she? They didn't need her. They didn't need a fiddle. What else was she going to do? Which is such a shame because she was such a kind of integral part of the agency. But if she was to tour her re-records or her discography, I'd love to see Caitlin back. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you could, oh my God, you could even add fiddle to kind of some of the um, Folklore Evermore tracks. Just to I was going to say Folklore Evermore. That would be, oh my God, that would be so cool. And also Liz, because... I want Liz's vocals back. I love them so much. It'd be brilliant. Anyway, back to Babe. My last thought is I would love to hear the original demo she sent to Sugarland. Oh my God, the money I'd pay for that. 
I just I want to know whether I she we all mm, I want to know whether it was originally much more country than she produced it now or whether it was originally pop who knows we'll never know because like we said the better man demo and re-record production wise are very very similar but then again I'm kind of I'm looking at Babe and I'm thinking it was produced by Jack Antonoff and I feel like because he is very much a pop a pop producer that he may have made it more pop than the original demo I'm trying to be (laughs) what's the word nice about Jack Antonoff diplomatic I'm trying to be diplomatic okay so shall we move on to message in a bottle absolutely so this song is the third Max Martin Johan Childbike I believe this was actually the first thing they wrote together I think it was so you know when she tells the story about writing we're never getting back together and um she said oh we were in in the middle of writing this song and then I can't remember the exact story but essentially they then switched tracks I reckon this is the song they were writing at that point which probably makes it one of the first pop pop songs she ever wrote if we're not including I mean it's debatable because I think a lot of speak now is pop but the first song she wrote with the intention of making a pop album essentially red isn't a pop album it is still branded genre-wise as a country album I have actually written in my notes do we think it was intended for 1989 in terms of it was kept off red to be saved for 1989. And was it potentially one of the tracks that inspired her full pop crossover? I think absolutely. I think she said on Jimmy Fallon, didn't she, that the vault tracks were songs that she'd held back with the intention of putting them on the next album. And then the next album inevitably kind of goes down a different path and she misses it off, which is something we've speculated about. But I think, I mean, it's it's peak 2012 pop, isn't it? Peak Bubblegum 2012, Carly Rae Jepsen style pop. And I understand why it didn't make Red. I think it would fit really well on 1989, but I also understand why it didn't make 1989. At that point, the world was almost moving on from that style of Bubblegum pop. So I feel like, yeah, I, I see where it kind of ends up in the middle. You know what it would fit really well on? A fictional EP I've just come up with. With if and you fiction. say the Beautiful Eyes EP, you're out. Nah, not the Beautiful Eyes EP. A new fictional EP containing Sweeter Than Fiction, Message in a Bottle, The Very First Night, and some other songs I haven't thought of yet. This is my fictional EP, and it would fit really well on my made-up EP, somewhere between Red and 1989. The thing is, though, at that point in her career, she was far past making EPs. She can make an EP. I still want a Christmas EP from her. I want a Christmas album. That, that I'll accept Christmas. as well. I'll take yeah. anything at this point. So there are a couple of parallels that I have highlighted. Obviously, How Is It in London is very much a parallel with Come Back Be Here, I Guess You're in London Today, etc. I also, this may be a little bit of a reach, but I've also highlighted Hypnotised by Freckles and Bright Eyes as maybe a tiny parallel to Wonderland. Oh, I see what you're saying. All I can think of is... Um, <gasps> wait, 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 wait. Sorry, sorry, but I have just come up with another one. Green eyes, freckles, and your smile in the back of my mind making me feel better now. Oh, my God. That's and everything has changed parallel. <laughs> well, I've changed I still, my mind. 
<laughs> All I can think of is that Jersey Green song, your green eyes and your contagious smile, your lips and the way they verbalize. If anyone's not heard that, if anyone's young and wasn't in the fandom back in, what was it? Was it 2012? There was a song on YouTube called I'm All Right by a girl called Jersey Green. It was a lyric video. There was no no one's singing it for some reason I don't know where the idea came from but everyone thought that it was it was a Taylor song an unreleased Taylor song that she'd randomly put on YouTube under the name Jersey Green and I don't know because her voice sounded similar-ish to Taylor's in places although there was one word was it hotel everyone was like no Taylor wouldn't say hotel like that anyway everyone was convinced for a very long time and it's called I'm all right if you want to go find it but um it does almost parallel this song weirdly I I also I want to say this is you cannot change my mind this is a Harry Styles song oh absolutely this in the very first night tell you what that's something I really wasn't expecting two Harry Styles songs on the vault there is also one little thing I would also like to add which is Taylor was quoted in 20 I was gonna say this sorry go on <laughs> October 2012 she said to the Daily Beast Songs for me are like messages in a bottle. You send them out to the world and maybe the person who you feel that way about will hear it someday. Easter eggs. Such an Easter egg. This interview is too late for her to have thought the message in the bottle would make the cut for Red, obviously, because either it was already out or it was about to come out. So that also makes me think she was dropping hints for 1989 because she thought it was going to be a 1989 track as soon as Red had come out yeah I mean I think she probably thought it was definitely on the next album so any theories as to why she left this one off but kept things like we are never getting back together um I knew you were trouble I'm 22 I think honestly that am I prejudiced in saying that those are are better songs maybe I, I I honestly I think that It was a case of she couldn't have too many songs that were all very much pop, very much obviously Max Martin Shellback collaborations because she wanted a rounded album with lots of different genres. So I just think it comes down to the ones that she preferred at the time, maybe the one the label preferred. Yeah, I mean, for me, I feel like there's a valid reason why We Are Never Getting Back Together is on the album. Um, and we know that she really wanted to piss off Jake Gyllenhaal so there we go to make him make a really annoying pop song to piss him off because he loves indie music anyway so that that, that one's is a given that is still my favorite thing she has ever done like just make it's a so really petty. annoying song that he will hear absolutely everywhere I just, I'm just like you know what you go you go love queen the, love the pettiness anyway 22 I feel like is also really important to have on the album I Knew You Were Trouble feels to me less pop than the other two, or much less bubblegum pop. So that wasn't skewing the album too much towards a pop genre. I feel like you put Message in a Bottle on there as well, or instead of any of those, and the album suddenly becomes very pop. It was almost too pop for Red. So I think that's probably why it was left off. I tell you what, one song I could potentially see it replacing on the original Red is Stay, Stay, Stay. Ooh, that's an interesting thought. I and I think that. I think I wrote the same thing in my notes for the very first night. Like I think it could, if it was going to replace anything on the album, I think it would be "Stay, Stay, Stay." It's the same genre in that it's pop, but it's like happy pop. And actually, 
Red is a heartbreak album at heart, so I wonder if that's possibly why it's not on there. The only proper, like, happy love song on there is Stay, Stay, Stay. And I still feel like Stay, Stay, Stay doesn't really belong on there. Okay, so the next song on the Vault track list is I Bet You Think About Me featuring Chris Stapleton. So, Amy, what are your thoughts on this song? Too many thoughts, way too many thoughts. Head is too small for all the thoughts. Um, Okay, so this is the Laurie McKenna co-write that happened in 2011. Um, And I've been wanting to hear this song since we knew that Taylor had written with Laurie McKenna because she's an incredible songwriter. Taylor has said herself that Laurie is one of the songwriters she kind of admires most. And it did not disappoint. It is scathingly perfect. I absolutely live for sarcastic Taylor. And I think, not sonically, but it does give me vibes of the old songs that have sarcastic tones in them, like R.E.V., N.G.E., and maybe love to lose with like, I know you want to talk about me, how I gave up on love so foolishly. But like those, those scathing, sarcastic songs, like I know what I want. They're extremely country. This is probably one of the most country songs on Red. Definitely, I would say maybe the most country song on The Vault. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Chris Stapleton was a good addition in terms of harmonies. And I'm very pleased that he didn't get a verse because I don't think it would have fit with the song. Yeah, I can't see how she could have given him given him a verse and have it make sense. But no, it's definitely the most, I think it is the most country song on Red Full Stop. And actually, the most country song since really debut slash fearless a little bit. But you're right, it reminds me more of her unreleased stuff than anything else. Things like Who I've Always Been like the scathing kind of sarky songs that she didn't really release. It gives me so much hope for the debut vault. Like there are songs like this on there. Oh, what I wouldn't do to get who I've always been. But you know what I realised earlier today when I was listening to it? It reminds me a lot, sonically, of Piano Man. I don't know if you hear that. No, listen to it, especially the outro. Some of the instrumental. So in my head, it's a Betty slash Piano Man crossover. It's really weird. I will have to listen, but I do not. Off the top of my head, I don't see what you're talking about, but okay. Also, you know the other song that reminds me a lot of? You're So Vain, Carly Simon. Okay, I do see that. I do see mm-hmm. that. And you know what I found out about You're So Vain? That it's so something Taylor would do. It makes me want them to collab even more. So she wrote it allegedly about Mick Jagger and then convinced Mick Jagger to sing backing vocals on it uncredited. And I was like, that's such a Taylor thing to do. Like, she would so do that. That is incredible. That is, oh my God, next level petty. That's, wow. I think the production on I Bet You Think About Me is just exactly what it needs to be. I'm obsessed with the harmonica. Absolutely. It adds so much to it. I think it's it's just, it makes it so country. It just, oh my God, too good, too good. Credit goes to Aaron Desner for that because he did a really good job on that one. He really did. I've highlighted a few parallels, also some lyrics to go over, but I also wanted to say that I love how you can see the verse about his friends playing out in the All Too Well short film. Oh my God, I hadn't noticed that, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's really cool. I think the vault tracks and the extended all too well add so much to what we know about their relationship. 
I feel like a fly on the wall almost for those like three months. I feel like I know so much more about what went down. It's really interesting. They've really filled in loads of gaps and the parallels that you fit see between them. It's between vault songs and release songs and between vault songs and other vault songs. Oh, it's so interesting. But like with with the the lines, they sit around talking about the meaning of life and the book that just saved them I hadn't heard of. Like you can see that scene in the film as you're listening to it. And it's like, oh my God, all the dots are like starting to connect. I feel like the 10 minute version of All Too Well and the film has just, it's connected so many different bits of even the songs that we already knew. It's kind of, it's it's like a dot to dot and it's slowly all coming together. So in terms of the parallels, there is the obvious indie music concerts with the indie, oh, indie, indie records. records. Indie records, that's, that's much it. cooler. Much cooler than mine. And of course, Mr. Superior Thinking. I'm not saying it's connected to Mr. Perfectly Fine, but I think that it's it's quite a cool kind of the fact that she she's used it in two songs over such a long time. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I feel like it's something worth mentioning. Well, she could have called John Mayer at this rate. We have Joe Jonas, Mr. Perfectly Fine. Jake Dylan Mr. Fucking Asshole. <laughs> That's what I'm rooting for, John Mayer. Yeah. Okay, so let's have a look at the second verse where she talks about how he grew up in a silver spoon gated community and she was raised on a farm and it wasn't a mansion. Because to be quite honest with you, that is a whole lot of bullshit. She loves to put forward this idea that she grew up poor. And I'm like, girl, you didn't grow up poor. You didn't even grow up like middle you grew up like upper class almost like you come from a rich family you had a pool in your basement you pretty much did live in a mansion you had a holiday house in stone harbor you you were rich girl admit it i know it's just so funny how she likes to put forward this narrative i will actually say though molly it wasn't that she had a pool in her basement it was that the house was built over a pool that is a valid point. That's what I meant. But like important distinction. There, there was a pool there. There had been a pool. Yeah. It that well, there, there was still a pool there. There's just no water in it. And it was just covered up. That weird. is so weird to me. I still that's I still so can't odd. get over it. I just think that verse is absolutely hilarious because it's just not accurate, but whatever. I think I think what's funny is that she's the entire song so scathing about how upper class and how much better he thinks he is because of it and I'm like that's not the issue love the issue is he's just an arsehole like it's not the fact that he's rich he's just a dickhead yes yeah literally couldn't have said it better and then the line I don't have to be your shrink to know that you'll never be happy I mean ouch that is um that hits should we say I love her sense of humour and her wit and I feel like that comes across in this song so well and the only other songs you really see it in are some really early debut ones and the unreleased stuff so god I'm so glad we've got this on the vault and I'm so glad it's very different to what I was expecting but not in a bad way at all oh so good I love (laughs) I love the line about the organic shoes at the very end it's just so funny I was about to mention that yeah, mm. the million dollar couch. I mean, 
that's just but I mean I feel like with the shrink line I feel like we all know someone like that like it's a very specific type of person who's like you will never be happy because you do not want to be happy but you will blame everybody else for it oh my god not to psychoanalyze but I think that's pretty much everything for that can I add one more line absolutely I, I love when she does this I bet you think about me when you say, oh my God, she's insane. She wrote a song about me. Oh, songs about you vibes. No, I love when she mentions writing songs about, like, I, I love that she did just embrace that. The fact that everyone's like, oh my God, she just broke up with him. She's going to write a song about him. She's like, yeah, I, I am. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? It's amazing. Especially kind of like the fact that she's acknowledging it and joking like, oh my God, she's insane it kind of it takes the power away from anybody else trying to say that because she's already joking that like I'm insane for doing this oh absolutely I I just think that's such a good line and I wish it had been released just for that line like oh can you I imagine that line see. that line being thrown into the world in 2012 they wouldn't have known how to handle that we were honestly the Taylor Swift fandom in 2012 we were in the trenches guys <laughs> if you were not if you were not a fan or a hardcore fan back in 2012 and you see people idolizing the red era like it was so much fun it was great it was oh my god it was not fun it was it was like living I went to war every day for that woman yeah it was um it was interesting it was the experience right shall we move on to forever winter we have many points to be made about this song we have many points to be made about every song let's be honest yeah that's true okay so I'm going to start with the production before we go into the actual story of the song. And I'm going to say the production is way too much on this. I think it would have been so much better suited, a lot more emotional as a piano ballad. Um, and I, the horn section in the intro specifically is just really weird to me because it sets it up as this really happy song. And I just think the juxtaposition of the lyrics and the theme with the production is it's too much in one thing interestingly and this is a thought that's just come to me right now but I wonder if the production is set up to almost mirror the line I'll be summer sun for you forever like is it meant to sound happy because that's what she's trying to I don't know it's an option maybe yeah because yeah it does seem like the first time I listened to it I will admit I'm really bad I can't pay attention to lyrics and kind of sound and production all at the same time so the first time I listen to a song yes I'll pay attention to the lyrics but I feel like I get an overall vibe just from the the kind of melodies in the production more than I do get a vibe from the lyrics and so I didn't realize how sad it was until I really sat down and it was also like 5am when I heard this so I was quite tired but until I sat down later on in the day and properly listened to it I didn't realize how sad it was so and I do feel like there's almost that's almost got to be deliberate in some way. I just don't know what her reasoning there was. It would be interesting to hear her talk about it and kind of explain, explain it in a bit more depth. Do you want to go into the inspiration behind it or what we assume the inspiration behind it is? So we assume this song is written about her friend, Jeff Lang, who died of an overdose was it just before the Speak Now tour? It was, I believe it? it was Speak Now release week. So we can assume the inspiration behind it is him. Another theory I did see is it could be about Corey Monty. Oh, that is a fair point. I ha- That hadn't even crossed my mind because I was going to say 
that this song was actually written in May 2012 because that's when she and Mark Foster had lunch and wrote together. Mm-hmm. So that would have been essentially two years after. When was Corey Monteith? When did he? Have a look. Was it suicide? That I never. It was I never suicide. Knew much about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he died. That would make oh, sense, never mind. Actually. It it couldn't be about Corey. He died in 2013. Yeah, so, yeah. so unless it was about because he would have been struggling before. I feel like this is speculating too much at this point. But it, unless it was about that, so it was written before he died. It's a very personal song, and it feels. I don't know. Not it feels a bit weird to kind of be speculating about who it is about but I believe the fandom as a general from what I have seen have pretty much attributed it to being about Jeff Lang so mm-hmm. that's kind of what the public opinion is should we say at the moment the lyrics amazing and I think they would be a lot I think you would be able to appreciate the lyrics more with the piano production which I know I've already said but I I want to make the point again Agreed. I think it would really benefit from even just an alternative version, an alternate version. You know what I think it would be really good as? A bit like Forever and Always, where you hear the first version of Forever and Always, the normal version, and it's like, it's very, it's kind of upbeat and it doesn't sound, you don't realise how sad it is until you hear the piano version. You're like, oh my God, this is a really depressing song. I feel like it would benefit from something like that. I agree. I've I've been going through my TikTok since it was released and being like, I wonder when we're going to see someone do like a piano cover. If anyone has done a piano cover, please, please send us it. We, we want to hear it. In terms of specific lyrics to highlight, I just would only say when she kind of sings, my voice comes out screaming, yeah. that just, that breaks my heart. And I would be interested to hear what that sounded like maybe on the original demo when the emotion was a lot more raw. Yeah, I think it's the, for me, it's the change from my voice comes out begging to my voice comes out screaming. It's like feeling so useless in that moment and just wanting to be able to do something to help, but not knowing what to do and just, oh God, no, that feeling of complete helplessness. I was going to say the lyric forcing smiles and never minds. Forcing laughs and faking smiles. Oh my god, it's enchanted just reminded parallel. Me of that. Yeah, that's very. That's quite strange, but I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. But no, the other lyric I really like is I pull at every thread trying to solve the puzzles in his head. They have nothing further to say. I just think it's the entire song captures so perfectly what it's like to feel like you can't do anything to help another person and to watch them struggling but know that nothing you do or say is really going to make it any better. That's really depressing. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, It's a depressing no, song. I know it's a depressing song. I just, yeah, that's made it more relatable. As a song, it is, it is good. I feel like I'm quite critical of it in terms of the production because I just, I want it to be the best it could have been. But I, I would say that about any song. Anyway, if we move on to Run featuring Ed Sheeran, I'm going to, I'm going to start us off and I'm going to say, honestly... I expected more from this. Oh, absolutely agree. It's my least favourite Vault song by far. It just feels very... I was saying to Amy yesterday, I think it was the first song they wrote together. And I think a lot of the reason why it feels very underwhelming is because it's not really a deep dive into either of their perspectives. This was the first or one of the first times they'd met They weren't, as far as we can tell, writing about an experience that was particularly specific to either of them. 
it was an exchange of ideas probably and then both contributing little bits from I mean inspired by their own experiences but there was no kind of specific one experience that it was based on as far as we can tell and I think it's just very surface level it doesn't it's not as deeper as interesting as some of the other songs and one of the things I love about Taylor's lyricism is how specific it is and this song just isn't that because it's a co-write with Ed I think and and even Ed's lyricism in those days the plus days is is very specific and I love that too so I oh I just feel like this song could have been so much more I think that's what I was looking forward to about the song, like this specific, specific, but how do you say it? Specific, spe- oh my God, I've lost it. Specific, spe- specific, oh, I don't know. Specific, is it Specific-ism. even a word? The specific situations that they put into their lyrics, especially the plus era Ed and the Speak Now era Taylor. I feel like potentially with a bit of different production, it may have fit on plus, but it just doesn't feel right for Red. Like as an album, as a project, it doesn't work on Red for me. No, I think a lot of that is, I think it is that the lyrics are really what makes Red such a good album and the lyrics just don't live up on this one. You know what? The verses do have some really good lyrics. I think it's, the chorus is so repetitive. It's one dimensional. It's weak, yeah. The entire song to me is quite one dimensional. There's nothing, there's nothing. Did you nearly say one directional? I don't know what I nearly said. The entire song is very one-dimensional to me. And I think the chorus in particular is that. Um, but there are a few lyrics that I do really like. I do quite like, I could see this view a hundred times, pale blue fly, pale blue fly, pale blue sky reflected in your eyes. That's quite nice. Pale lyric. blue fly, like a blue <laughs> bottle. <laughs> but also um, there's a chain round your throat, piece of paper where I wrote, I'll wait for you. It's quite nice. And then the following line, there's a key on the chain, there's a picture in a frame, take it with you. That I thought was an interesting parallel with Photograph, which is on Ed's album Multiply. Oh, it's an interesting thought, actually. I know we were looking for Taylor parallels, but I heard that and I was like, oh my God, wait a second. That's familiar. So I think I thought that was maybe something to mention I think it's very interesting that the two Ed co-writes on Red are the least personal songs I would say on Red oh absolutely and actually I see it it's very similar to me to everything has changed not thematically but sonically and just very yeah they're quite repetitive songs the way it's almost hypothetical yeah yeah definitely it's that Okay, so let's move on to the very first night. This, for me, is Come Back Be Here Part 3. It's like in a trilogy with Come Back Be Here and Rest in a Box. I think what makes me laugh about this song is it's quite clearly a Harry Styles song. And it almost sounds like it could have been inspired by One Direction songs. Like, to me, it sounds like a One Direction song. And there are parallels in there as well. They don't know about the night in the hotel parallels to perfect by one direction what is it and if you like you causing like tra- causing, causing trouble, trouble up in up hotel in rooms rooms. I just think I don't know it sounds like a one direction song oh my gosh I've forgotten we have we have everybody the earliest reference to the Haler automobile accident they weren't riding in the car when we both fell 20 stitches in the hospital room Molly, I don't think I don't think that's what fell means. Besides, it was a snowmobile, not a car. Oh yeah. How dumb are you? <laughs> I'm hungover and tired. 
I do enjoy listening to it. It's a good dancey song, but I will say it's not lyrically the best. Mm, yeah, I kind of agree with you there. It's very pop. It's very 1989 almost. Um, yeah, there are some there are some decent lyrics in there, but there are a lot of um, I do love. I do quite like um, we broke the status quo, then we broke each other's hearts. I like that lyric a lot. I think that's quite fun. Yeah, there are some good lyrics. I think as I think, like you said, with run, what makes me feel like it's relatively weak in terms of lyrics is the chorus. Yeah. Because I mean, I wish I could fly. I'd write this in the sky. It sounds like an unreleased Taylor song back from back in debut era. Maybe like with Message in a Bottle, she potentially was saving it for 1989 and then it just didn't make the cut. Yeah, I think I definitely agree with you there. I think it was saved or held back for the next album. And we all know she doesn't stop writing. So except when she stopped writing in like 2016. But anyway, um, True. we won't touch on that because that hurts. Um, yeah. know, she just, she writes constantly. So I think she does this. I wonder what point she learned. Like, just don't hold back songs because you won't put them on the next album. You'll write better ones. Okay, are we emotionally prepared and ready to discuss the 10-minute version of All Too Well? I feel like we will never be emotionally prepared and ready to discuss the 10-minute version of All Too Well. I also feel like we could do an entire episode on the 10-minute version of All Too Well. You know what? If if you guys want to hear a full episode on the 10-minute version, let us know. We will make sure that we get Rachel on one because I'm sure she will get she will have many more takes as well. Um, and we could we could talk about it for hours, honestly. Um, maybe we should do one on the film itself. For now, let's surface level go over some of the things that stood out the most. And I'm going to start with saying I think the production is really good. Surprise, surprise. Now, um, Cantonoff, we applaud you for this one. I think it's good that it's been produced differently to the normal version of All Too Well which is very guitar heavy. When this song started and I heard the pedal steel guitar, I was just like, I am ascending. This is this is country music. Someone get this woman on the Grand Old Opry. Just, whoa, no, too much. I'm a big fan of the pedal steel in this song. I do agree. It adds a lot to it. But the production in general is, is perfect for it. And you're right. It had to be different from the normal version, I think. The 10 minute version adds so much lyrically that almost becomes an entirely different song with a completely different meaning to me. So I feel like it does feel like a separate song from the original All Too Well. Yeah, and melodically as well, there are some very big changes, essentially t- at least two new melodies, three maybe, at th- yeah, three. But I'd anyway. Love, I'd, I'd like to add that I love that it doesn't follow a typical verse chorus structure. And it has all these little bits in it here, here and there, that it really adds to the idea that it was just essentially a stream of consciousness writing this song. Mm -hmm. There's no intention for it to be structured. And it kind of reflects the, I feel like a year eight English teacher, kind of reflects the chaoticness of their relationship. All all that is coming into my mind is that meme where it's like the The English... The curtains are blue. Yeah, you know exactly what I mean. I know what I'm talking about. Where the the English teacher is like saying the blue curtains are representing his inner sadness and the author just meant the curtains were in fact blue. Anyway, should we should we look at some specific lyrics and just be like in pain for a while? Go for it. Don't make me okay. cry. 
So he's going to say it's love. You never called it what it was. Oh, it, God. I Yeah. But see, I'm literally speechless, but I remember hearing that for the first time and thinking, how on the nose is that? Like, it's just so, ouch. And you can picture it as well. Like, you can picture her sitting in this car thinking, like, just waiting for that moment. It just never comes. Another one, the idea you had of me, who was she, a never needy, ever lovely jewel whose shine reflects on you. I mean, oh my God, the imagery, the pain, the feelings. It's so interesting as well, because the idea you have of anybody else isn't actually who they are. It's just who you think they are and who you, in a way, want them to be, especially kind of when you're idealizing someone. I have to say, probably one of my favorite lyrics has got to be, you kept me like a secret, but I kept you like an O. It just, I feel like it sums up the the dynamics of their relationship from both points of view. Fully, definitely, yeah. And I, I have to say, um, mass, I know everybody has already like appreciated this line, but again, massive appreciation for, I'll get older, but your lovers stay my age. Ooh. And the fact, the fact that she wrote that back in what 20 2011-ish and now in 2021 he is still dating somebody who was her age back oh. then it's oh. like what do you know that we don't I really like they say all's well that ends well but I'm in a new hell every time you double cross my mind that's such a clever play on words I know it's all too much honestly I just want I want to know what his current girlfriend thought when she listened to this song. <laughs> I want to see like... Jake Gyllenhaal shaking in the corner of his room. That his poor publicist right now probably sat here like there's no. Oh, I feel this. for them. <laughs> you know who I feel? Well, I don't feel for him at all. I hope he suffers. But John Mayer is absolutely terrified right now. As he <laughs> he suffers. But yeah, I mean, I've seen some great tweets just kind of about like at least. Jake Gyllenhaal had the sense to be quiet when all this was going down. Whereas John Mayer was like, oh, it's so humiliating that Taylor's writing these songs about me. And now it's just like, he is, <laughs> no, is going to be ripped reaction. into. I need Speak Now, Taylor's version to come out just for John Mayer's reaction, because I think that'd be hilarious. He'll get TikTok and be like, I don't know if he's already on TikTok. He'll be making like TikToks about it. Oh my Please, God. Please no. God, I need it. One thing is a parallel with the state of grace oh okay go for no. it did the twin flame bruise paint you blue to twin fire signs for blue eyes oh and i mean we already knew that state of grace was clearly a jake gyllenhaal song but ow the the way that goes from that line and that happy song and that idealistic song at the beginning not even at the beginning of a, re- a le- relationship but a in, relationship in like, it's almost like the honeymoon period relationship. in the happy in the happy moment of the relationship to this absolute soul crushing end it's like it's oh. too much too much God. for me I do love this song like the the additional lyrics in the 10 minute version draw so many parallels with other songs on red like the entire um, it's not even a verse, almost like a second bridge. Um, but the parallel to the moment I knew in the line, um, then he watched me watch the front door all night willing you to come. And he said, it's supposed to be fun turning 21. That's like the entire concept of the moment I knew in two lines. 
I know. And also like the the line, you who charmed my dad was self-effacing jokes, sipping coffee like you're on a late night show. I mean, that that whole that whole section of oh, so good. that song is insane. And it's just like too much. It shows how deep the manipulation ran. Yeah. That he wasn't just fooling her. He wasn't just manipulating her. Clearly, like it was so infectious is the wrong word but like it went so far yeah I think it shows how and people are like oh it's a three-month relationship how does she feel this like deeply about a three-month relationship but she really threw herself into relationship I think she really fell and fell hard back then and she was 20 she She was was young she was our age it's no when you say that though that's terrifying I know she was very young but I'd like to add that I love that, and it's a bit like my Forever and Always parallel again. I love that this song is almost like the angry version of um, the original All Too Well. There are certain lines in here, and you can just hear, I'd honestly, so what I wouldn't do to hear that original recording. I've had it, and I've had it stuck in my head. I had it stuck in my head all night last night. Some actress asking, that's me, what happened to you? That's what happened to you? Like, it's very, that's one that I can really see her just coming up with on the spot like it is a stream of consciousness it's very bitter and angry but devastatingly sad at the same time it's such a per- perfect kind of it encompasses all those emotions that she clearly felt about the relationship at the time it's such a perfect oh what's the word I'm looking for surmise summary encapsulation oh, I don't know what it is I'll, I'll use encapsulation such a perfect encapsulation of that relationship, I think, and everything that went with it. And just the way she sings it, like, that's what happened to you. Like, oh, oh. like the anger. Um, similar In a similar vein, um, you said we if we had been closer in age, maybe it would have been fine. And that made me want to die. Like, she, I, she would have cut that lyric out quite early on, but I'm so glad she left it in this version because... I mean... Please, if we had been closer in age, maybe it would have been fine. Dude, dude, you do not put that. You do not put that on her. She is, in respect to you, she is a child, mate. This is this is your problem. Let's let's not turn this around. Like, oh god, I I cannot. And I think as well, I think I always kind of looked at the John Mayer relationship as kind of the most inappropriate in terms of age with Taylor. Um, I didn't realise there was such a gap between her and Jake Gyllenhaal. And I think the short film has done so well in highlighting that Mm. and making people very uncomfortable. And I think that is the point. I think think the reason we didn't really acknowledge, not me and you, but like as a fandom, didn't really acknowledge it as much as maybe we should have done is because I don't think she really realised how awful it was until she'd taken a step back from it and a few years out and and actually, I don't know, looking back, like you look back and you think, oh God, I was so young. Like he really, the power dynamics there, it was just so inappropriate. Whereas John Mayer Mm -hmm. was quite clearly, he was incredibly manipulative. But I think John Mayer was, there was never really a, good point in that relationship as far as we can tell whereas Jake Gyllenhaal really did charm her and then just break her heart so there are lyrics in the lover journals that aren't actually in this 10 minute version that we thought would be the lyrics that were titled all too well lyrics first draft in the lover journals which were from February 2011 
are as follows. There we are again when you blew the candle out, took this blazing love, steered it right into the ground, running scared I was there. Then there is, I walked through the door with you, the air was cold, pictures on the fireplace, you showed me around. Then we have, well, I left my scarf there at your sister's house on the banister I remember even now. You'll mail back my things in a box with no notes except for that scarf from that very first week. Yeah, you keep it in your drawer because it smells like me. It was the one real thing you've ever felt and remember it all too well. So these were labelled essentially as the first draft lyrics and Molly and myself were very confused as to where they were in this new version. But I then had the thought, what if she'd come up with those lyrics before the Speak Now rehearsal where she kind of monologued it all or stream of consciousness it all what if they were already kind of formed in her head and she just like slightly misremembered them and it was edited a little bit when you said that I was like yeah that actually makes a lot of sense because I couldn't put it together because she tells this story of the 10 minute version essentially just being exactly the same as that recording from that speak now tour rehearsal where she just started playing this song and her band joined in and she just essentially made it up on the spot and you listen to it and you think, structurally, I see that. Structurally, I see that it's just been made up on the spot. There's no, like I said, verse, chorus, bridge structure. It's very messy in a great way. I love it, but it is messy. Lyrically, there's no way she came up with all of those lyrics on the spot. Like, I I believe there are some that, yes, she can't hit again and again and again like that. She can't get so many good lyrics on the spot unless she's, I don't know. I just don't believe it. So I do think she must have had some kind of first draft version and started from there. Not 10 minutes worth of lyrics, absolutely not, but kind of lyrics and ideas. And it just kind of all came out at that rehearsal. And it's probably been edited from that ever so slightly. But I do believe that it's, it's very similar to that rehearsal. Definitely, because she she went to Liz Rose, obviously, to cut it down into a shorter song. And I'm sure that they they messed around with lyrics and changed bits. So I'm sure it's not exactly like it was on the Speak Now tour. But that's, I would kind of say that's the theory we're running with in terms of the correlation between the Lover Diaries and this. I think she tells the story like she tells it because it's a simple version of the story. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and we will see you again next week with a new episode of the Swift Lazy Podcast. <laughs>